Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... What I refer to as, as kind of better online is, is just making sure that we have the student at the center of our experiences and making sure that they have a, an incredible time um, because there's, there's such an opportunity with, with the digital technology that we have to make these experiences wonderful, yet we're, we're not doing that at present. Hey, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. I hope you and your families are all doing well and staying calm and healthy. My guest today is a higher ed and ed tech specialist who has been instrumental in growing higher education businesses and guiding strategy. Together we discuss how to design and scale online courses on the periphery of the traditional higher education space that enhance the experience of lifelong learners and help them achieve higher outcomes. We also unpack the three essential areas required to thrive in the fourth industrial age, human skills, digital capabilities and contemporary ways of working. I'm thrilled to introduce to you today Warren Kennard, Managing Director at Kahoot Academy, a full-service digital education business designed and built to deliver relationship-based learning to globally distributed professionals and lifelong learners. During our discussion, you will also learn how Warren is building a diverse edtech professional community leaning into the future of higher education. If you are looking to harness the disruption brought by EdTech and learn more about the world's largest network of EdTech and higher ed professionals, then head to getconnected.co. You can also learn about Warren and his work at kahootacademy.com. Let's dive right in. Hello Warren, welcome to Impact Learning. Hi, great to meet you, Maria. What is your favorite childhood memory related to learning? It would have to be uh, my, my mom standing over my shoulder, asking me a series of questions and encouraging me to try as hard as I possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any particular like a subject that you were interested in learning more about? Yeah, I think um, uh, sport was my my subject of the day when I was a when I was a youngster. So I spent most of my time doing that. Um, but but I did actually have a flavour for mathematics. I really enjoyed it as as a youngster, and, and so playing with those numbers was important for me. Nice. And uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? So my 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 immediate um, fascination was with uh, being a pilot. I really wanted to to fly helicopters in particular. That was my that was my um, dream, which my eyes prohibited at that stage. So um, yeah, and also the costs of of flying were difficult. But I think it was influenced by by Airwolf at the time and and the, and the TV series. And I think many of many of us young boys wanted to be pilots. 
Okay, and uh, when you realized that you could not uh, be a pilot, what did you decide to study? So I decided to study um, marketing and, and business when I left school, and, and that was uh, principally as a result of um, my parents' influence uh, at the time. I wasn't particularly sure of what I wanted to do, but uh, I was very aware that getting some business acumen was, was really important, um, and, and that's kind of how I started off. Very nice. You have held uh, different roles in strategic uh, business management, marketing, digital marketing. You also have your MBA and you've worked again in different roles and also on different projects. Mm. I found it a very, let's say, comprehensive, but also diverse project mm. portfolio. Which ones uh, stand out as the most defining for you, for what you do today? Yeah, well, that's a lovely question. And yes, the background has been quite varied. Um, so I've, I've been in higher education for, for a number of years, um, getting on close to 20 years now. But yes, I have taken on a, a wealth of roles across that time, mo mostly related to growth. So when I refer to growth, I'm just looking at the, the sales, marketing, business development and partnerships kind of um, spread um, and, and strategy, of course. But I, I would say the defining moment for me was very much my, my work at Get Smarter. Um, so Get Smarter was a, a smaller at that time, um, private online education provider that was doing last mile training. And uh, the growth of that business and being part of the, the growth of that business was, was, a, was a really interesting and, and wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. And what were the big learnings? Because you joined them when there were just a few employees and then, you know, there were a few hundreds. So what were mm -hmm. the big learnings for you during this time at Get Smarter? Yeah, I mean, I... Uh, there, there were so many um, wonderful learnings. I think the the importance of strong leadership was absolutely critical, and and the alignment to a, a core mission, and and the ability to corral people together into a a movement and to delivering something that was of incredibly high quality to a global audience was, um, you know, definitely an exciting journey for us. So I'd say mainly the importance of of strong leadership, the the alignment towards a common mission, and and then also the the power and of data and analytics and the importance of being able to track data points is, is incredibly important to, to just make sure that your business is, is driving and succeeding against its plan. What were the most challenging aspects to drive growth? Yeah, that's, um, a, I mean, it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult question. I, I suppose it's a combination of two things. One was um, putting the best infrastructure and, and systems in place to support that growth while um, scaling with human beings as well. Um, so you've got to strike this balance between throwing people at problems and then um, you know, putting in infrastructure and systems to, to support scale and growth. And, and that often comes at a considerable expense. So the initial outlay, um, being brave enough to, to invest that money into the systems that, that are going to see you um, scale is, is incredibly important because they, they're expensive when, when, you, when you only have a handful of students and they become uh, infinitely cheaper over time. Um, but it's that initial investment is, is critical. Mm -hmm. Very good. So you uh, said that it's almost 20 years now that you've been in the learning and education field. What prompted you to get involved? What triggered your interest in learning and education? Yeah, I think about this this fairly often, actually. And I, I think that, um, you know, my, my parents put a lot of uh, 
emphasis on on the learning um, as being a, a route to success. And I could see that for myself. I mean, there were wonderful people that um, we knew, family, friends, and so on, that had been successful in their careers. And if you look at their pedigree and and what they had studied, you know, they, they had always been involved in education, and it had put them in good stead. So I think that was the 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 initial um, reason for falling in love with with the kind of lifelong learning ideology, as it were. But uh, for me, I, I fell into education. So my aunt at the time was a, a, a recruitment agent, and um, she actually got me my first position in higher education. And I was uh, an enrollment advisor for a large private um, institution in South Africa. And I think just seeing the transformation potential of education and advising, um, you know, young students on on their next steps of their journey, and just seeing how important that decision was in their life was was kind of the first part for me that that got me hooked on uh, on that journey. So, what are you doing today? What is uh, what is your role? What kind of work you do? Yeah, so there's two things that that occupy my mind at the moment, and and that I'm busy with. So, I'm the managing director of the Kahoot Academy. And the Kahoot Academy is uh, looking at future of work products, um, mainly in online last mile education again. Um, so extending from that small private online courses movement, but looking at workforce development. Um, so large scale workforce development in areas of uh, human skills and, and digital capabilities and, and contemporary ways of working. So we deliver workforce training at scale, but in a people mediated uh, environment um, and I can explain that if, if needed. But um, and then I'm focused on a project called ConnectEd. Um, so I'm the founder of that project, which is a essentially a course, but it's it's a discussion, uh, an opportunity for discussion and discourse um, in the higher education sector. And so we've built together a course, crowdsourcing insights from a number of global leaders, um, and that course uh, goes live in September. Beautiful. So we're going to take now these two big pieces and we are going to unpack them because I'm very interested, fascinated with the work you are doing and all the content, your website and everything is just beautiful. So let's talk about Kahoot Learning. What is actually the problem you are solving and how you are solving it? Yeah, so there's a enormous amount of, of training opportunities for, for workforces at this stage. Um, you know, you can do everything from extremely short, nuggeted style learning, uh, the likes of, of LinkedIn Learning and Skillsoft and, and others that are very much asynchronous um, MOOC style training. So these little assets that you can learn about, um, I'm going in for my, uh, going in to interview somebody and I, I need some skills in, in good questions to ask. And, and those are wonderful resources resources and, and they really do help. Um, then right on the other end of the spectrum, you've got your formal qualifications, your, your postgraduate, your master's programs, your exec ed, and that can be in-person training or it, or it can be um, you know, facilitated online. And then you've got everything in between, which looks like if you're going into a workshop setting in, in your organization and they're delivering um, a piece of training, um, be that compliance-led or, or being something in analogous to the leadership or, or something along those lines. And what we identified is that there's a hell of a lot available, good quality education available for um, executive leaders um, of organizations 
organizations. Um, many were um, lucky enough to travel and, and go off to, to Harvard and LSE and, and all of these wonderful organizations to do <laughs> executive level training, or they would have wonderful celebrity status individuals coming into the organizations to, to educate them. And then you would have um, kind of like entry level training for new incumbents into the organization, be that onboarding or you know compliance led training and so on. But what we found was that the large um, chunk of the organization in, in the mid-tier wasn't being incredibly well served. So the, the kind of um, solution that we put in place is is short enough to make um, uh, to not take up an incredible amount of time. So we wanted to be mindful of the exec ed movement, or if you look at these these private courses, they quite onerous. They you know you you investing ten hours a week over a period of eight to twelve weeks, um, and and that's a, a lot for um, the mainstream organization to send a hundred people from their organization is is a huge expense, and and also it takes them away from their work. So. So we wanted to make sure that somebody was only investing about three hours a week of, of notional hours of learning over a three-week period. And we chose a three-week period very much because of that old adage of 21 days creates a habit. And so we could practice something each and every day that would hopefully then lead to um, uh, you know, a longer form habit. And, and also the fact that we found that there's a, an opportunity to create radical capability improvement just in, in that three weeks. So we've got a relatively inexpensive, um, so, so very affordable solution that's highly, highly people mediated. And what we mean by that is we pepper the, the courses with um, a, a lot of subject matter expertise that, that are embedded into that course. So um, be it someone like myself, who's who's been in education for a long time, if the course was education related, we're going to be having somebody there that's that's available um, and, and mentoring those students uh, throughout their learning journey. But also what's very important within the Kahoot environment and the work that we do is that we bring the, the actual students into that learning experience um, like not many other providers are able to do. And so we believe that you come into the learning experience with a whole bunch of insights and expertise and wisdom that we want to extract from you and to be able to share with your, your colleagues along that learning continuum. So yeah, in short, uh, we we targeting um, the the mainstream organization, the large scale workforce, uh, very affordable, uh, high quality, um, great student experience, peer participation kind of courses in a very short form learning online. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the the experience and what you also talked about relationship based learning. Mm. What is this about? How do like students interact with each other, interact with the instructors, with the advisors? How does this happen? How do you facilitate that? Yeah, and it's it's a great question, and I I think that um, there's some magic sauce that that just happens within the Qt platform. So one important part is that you've got to have a, a system uh, that allows for this kind of collaboration. So if you've been in online education before and if you've enjoyed an online experience, what we generally find is that people are navigating from what we refer to as a learning management system of some kind, be it Moodle, Blackboard, or or any of them. There's, there's um, obviously a, a wealth of them out there. But we also find that they have to exit that platform and then participate in channels like Slack or Zoom or other kinds of adjacent technologies that sees them leave the learning environment. 
Um, and so what, what we did many years ago um, in, in the Kahoot business was to create a turnkey garden walled community um, environment where a student does everything in one spot. So that's the first part. And, and it seems like a silly part, but it's actually the one that not many people do. <laughs> so what, what it means is that the student doesn't exit that environment. They have everything at their disposal, be it live chat, be it um, a Zoom kind of feature. We do all of the webinars in there. All of the conversation threads are neatly housed and, and the student has a very seamless experience, um, which is the starting point. As far as people mediated is concerned, um, what we do is we, we make sure that the cohort know one another and the skills and experience and, and expertise that they have um, is introduced right early on in the course. And we make sure that all of the mentors and facilitators are known to, to those students. So they know where to access those individuals. They know the cadence um, of which they're going to be um, peppered with insights, and that being through webinars or live chats and so on. So it's built into the sequence of the course. And what we do um, is gate certain elements of the course so that we encourage students to, to kind of join the cohort and join the conversation at the same sorts of times. So the when you're dealing with an asynchronous experience, which is one that um, you're kind of doing at your own pace and, and your own um, time. We've got a hybrid of that in, in the sense that certain elements of the course, you can run away and get ahead of yourself and, and move at your pace. And then we manage to bring that group together at certain activities so that we, we force um, the cohort to progress as a cohort. And that's what sees very, very high completion rates um, because of that peer participation. So it's also the way we, we design the activities. So the, the platform is very clever in the sense that it can bring communities together at particular junctures in the course, as I said, but do that dynamically. So it could be based on you answer this question this particular way. We can then attach all of those students in one discussion thread and all of another group of students who answer the question differently in a different group. And so we can actually get them to reach consensus uh, on different groups and then bring them together for a more cohesive discussion. So it's it's uh, it's principally around the design of the course, but also the fact that it needs to be in a seamless uh, kind of gated community. Mm -hmm. Very good. So now let's talk about the, the gated process. It seems to me that you are assessing or observing or monitoring a lot of things. So make sure that everybody, I guess, is moving forward, learning, mm -hmm. practicing, doing the work. Talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit more about uh, how important that is and is it something that happens like ongoing? How does it work? I'm not asking for proprietary information. I just mm. want to understand, you know, the monitor and assessment so we can help students become successful. Yeah. So it's... Uh it's again goes back to the design. Um, so we we understand where uh, we expect students to have the most challenges and to have the most questions. So working very closely with the subject matter expert, we identify what areas of challenge. Um, so we already pre predetermine um, kind of some of the areas where we're going to need to invest more time and energy and effort. 
We've also got a, um, a machine learning algorithm or, or kind of an AI in the system that checks sentiment analysis on, on posts and comments. So we can immediately see whether there is a, a student struggling with a particular problem. Um, the uh, AI and, and machine learning is not perfect, of course. Um, you know, it could be that we are speaking about a particular topic that is uh, difficult and, and it has got, um, you know, problems by its nature. And therefore, those um, comments are also going to be surfaced. But what it does do is allow us to hone our attention to uh, particular areas. Um, uh, and that alerts us via alerts to say this this comment has been posted and it, it has a negative sentiment. So we can easily address those. Um, and then your your question was... Um, also about how do we how do we navigate those those students through that I, I suppose what what we do is like certain activities are gated and and that just simply means that we arrive at a gate um, you have to answer a question before you can proceed and so we are we're trying to encourage um, participation in order to then unlock other attributes within the course or other aspects of the course and this allows us to to kind of find a, a rhythm and cadence that sees people trying to catch up um, and and kind of navigate together throughout the the learning experience but just two things on that the the, the course um, it does not prohibit you from then progressing we always going to find that there's stragglers that 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 need to do the course at a different cadence to everyone else and then there's the mean and then there's those that run ahead and so your your design has to be um, cleverly catering for both those running ahead and and those that are that are um, you know not not moving at the same sort of pace because they had a, a work event or you know some some something that precluded them from from participating mm -hmm. and how much would you say is the interaction like student to student versus student with the platform or with the instructors how much is it i just mm -hmm. want to get an idea yeah, that's that's a wonderful question. I would say in our courses, uh, it's easily up to 70-80% is peer level engagement. So that's engagement with colleagues. And uh, I say colleagues because we do get groups from organizations that are coming into these courses, but um, uh, be they peers in, in the learning environment as well. So one thing that's, that's fairly unique about the way that we um, stack groups together is that we can um, handle uh, in the platform and in a particular learning experience we can handle thousands of students um, undergoing these courses but what we do is we block them into groups of 40 to 50 because we find that that level of engagement is where we see the magic happening. So um, beyond that group size, it just gets too clunky and it gets very dysfunctional for students. So they'll come to a discussion thread where there's a thousand comments and that's just impossible to catch up. Um, so you just feel distracted, you feel disorientated and you give up. Um, but when you're in a group of 40 to 50, um, the discussion threads are not completely overwhelming and you also get put into smaller groups for your kind of um, tight-knit group work um, and and therefore you create that level of community that that's a really really important mm -hmm. you already answered a question that i had uh, which is how do we build like meaningful relationships and more intimate connections while mm -hmm. we still like scale it right mm -hmm. how do you address it's a group of 100 people but still maintain more of the intimate one-to-one -one or small group but I, mm. I have a very good understanding now based on what you already described um, i'm sure many of the professionals who attend the courses uh, 
a few years ago uh, or up to maybe recently, they have been taking what we call in-person, face-to-face. Mm. So what do they say? So what are you learning from from your students about the benefits of uh, the the micro courses that you offer compared to a face-to-face in-person course? What do they like? Yeah, so, and and this is a a really good question in the the current time, of course, uh, and we find that they thoroughly enjoy these experiences and and I haven't... um, necessarily got data points on on what you're referring to right now but but just anecdotal comments and and so on but one thing that we see is that the convenience element is is obviously huge um so where where a course would traditionally be done face to face let's say for example you're doing a a one day in person workshop or a two day in person workshop uh, we would generally speaking design a course that would extend uh, a day as a week in in the online learning kind of environment and what that allows you to do which which a face-to-face environment doesn't allow you to do is to really reflect on some of those points because you get so overwhelmed in a in a one-day session you're learning a hell of a lot of information and you walk away and and you just think how much did I retain from from that session how much did I really get benefit and and I run back to my scribbled notes and I've mainly got five or six bullet points that I now want to go and practice um, what an online learning experience does certainly from a from a Kahoot perspective is it allows you to take that in a nuggeted kind of version so a snackable size bite chunk of of learning and then go and apply that um, for that day or for that week and then learn your next piece of information that's really really important and and so on and so forth and the way that you're able to engage that material over an extended period of time is what what the real differentiator is and then going back to your point about like what they find valuable is that um, they can see the relative cohort so they can see how they performing relative to the others um, so they can see their uh, attendance their participation scores their input into the community channels so and and also how they stack up relative to a whole number of metrics that we measure in the system so they get a wonderful dashboard that's presented to them to to give them an indication of how they're progressing and I think it's that it's that opportunity to see exactly what they need to do, um, what they're going to cover in the session, and that they can do it at their own time and at their own pace while still having collaboration and engagement, I think is the, is the fundamental differentiator. Mm-hmm. You already talked about the practical application, how they are taking their learnings and putting them into work, you know, during mm. their actual uh, work. Is this practical application also part of the course? Like, do they have an opportunity to work on uh, like a specific project? Mm. Yeah, so it, it depends on the nature of the course. The the particular project in this in some of the courses may be themselves, which is uh, which is a fascinating one. So in our courses in in resilience and in leadership and and certainly with the the empathy course that we are building, these are very much the the human capabilities that we need to to build. So yes, um, some of those projects may be that we've got to speak to a colleague, a particular colleague that we are having a challenge with differently and to um, experience what that's like and then to report back on that with your trusted community. So that could be an example of it. And when we get to our more contemporary ways of working, which may be an agile course or, or CX or um, so, so customer success and these types of things, absolutely the project will um, be able to be implemented in your work. You can bring that project to the fore or you can use one of the off-the-shelf projects that, that we have. But by and large, students are selecting 
courses or an organization is coming to us and saying these 50 staff need to learn this particular skill as part of this course and we align the project accordingly. Mm-hmm. Very good. So you already talked about a few examples. So you, you with the course where you, you have developed, you are addressing the human skills and then uh, digital capabilities and the contemporary ways of working. Mm. So you already talked about human skills. Can mm. you give us a few examples of courses related to digital capabilities and then the contemporary uh, ways of working? Yeah, wonderful. So the Contemporary ways of working is uh, what we're defining by that is just the uh, evolution of of how we are working as organizations in the modern era. So these are things like um, uh, agile is is absolutely one. So how do we think about working in um, an iterative fashion and and designing in in that sense? Um, the others is is very much focused around customer. So the customer experience and and customer success are other examples of that. However, um, you know, if you're looking at what these uh, could be into the future, they're anything and everything that's going to allow you to be more progressive in, in your organization. So looking at innovation, um, looking at user experience, these are the kinds of things that modern technology companies, and not saying that the modern technology companies are, are the way forward for everyone, but they definitely use skills and attributes and, and ways of working that are um, accelerating their business's performance. And so So it's uh, it's really replicating a lot of those skills and, and abilities into those courses and therefore giving the people the wherewithal and the and the capability to to move at scale. Um, so so it's yeah, innovation, CX, UX, um, and then looking at at things like agile and design thinking and, and related fields like that. So there's a, a list of courses in those areas. And then from a digital skills point of view, we, we're unable um, and uh, before we get to Neuralink. Um, or something that's going to plug us into the internet for us to, to learn. Um, we, we cannot make someone a data scientist in three weeks um, and with 10 hours of notional training. So what we are doing is making sure that people have a full appreciation for the power of data, for the power of these technologies and how they can influence their life and their ability to perform and take advantage of, of latent opportunity that exists within Industry 4.0. So we are looking at, at things like um, the inter- uh, IoT, so Internet of Things. We're looking at cybersecurity. So we have a course in um, Get Cybersmart which is really looking about um, the individual and the organization and how the two intersect. Um, so looking at basic cyber hygiene. Um, and then we've uh, got courses in data exploring and storytelling, which is all about looking at data and the patterns in those data and also being able to visualize that data in a way that makes sense so that you can have a more informed, um, uh, can make more informed decisions as an organization. So um, data data exploring and storytelling, um, looking at emerging technologies. So we've got emerging technologies for growth or emerging technologies for productivity. So these are things like um, the incorporation of AI and machine learning and the benefits that that can have on your organization and on the work you're doing at the moment, um, both from a sustainability point of view. So looking at the productivity tools, but then also looking at um, the growth opportunities. So how do you take advantage of these um, uh, uh, new trends and and emerging technologies and how you can grow and scale your organization. So um, those are the ones that we're we're focused on at the moment. 
Hmm. One more question on the courses, because many people right now may be in transition or out of job, so they may not be part of an organization. Are your courses available to individual learners or do they need to be part of an organization? No, they, they don't need to be part of an organization. Um, so we do have uh, a philosophy of open enrollment and we are very alive to the fact, of course, that many have been displaced as a result both of, of Industry 4.0 but, but also of, of COVID more recently. Um, so these courses are, are affordable for, for individuals. Um, uh, just to give you an indication of price, we're charging 480 um, Australian dollars for, for these courses, which if you look at in, on relative scale and, and the kind of facilitation that you get, these are extremely affordable. So yes, um, catering for, for everyone. Um, the, the main uptake um, and the, the way we've traditionally gone to market is to be working with, with government organizations and, and large scale corporations. Um, however, we, we absolutely don't preclude anybody from, from enrolling into these courses and we certainly encourage it. Mm-hmm. So you're really upskilling and reskilling the workforce. Correct. An organization, yeah. government, institution, and individual lifelong learner. Yeah, I would say that the, what we define it as improving the capability of these individuals and allowing them to, to seize latent opportunity. That, that's the key things that we focus on. Beautiful. So let's talk now about Connect Ed. So this is powered by Kahoot Learning. So it's operating on the the platform that we just talked about and the specifics and the approach. How did this idea come about? So I was always very uh, aware of the power of community and and the power of networks. Um, And then dovetailing that with trying to find another course for myself to pursue. So I really wanted to understand two things, um, where I stack up on on the um, knowledge train. So what do I know about the sector and and how well do I understand it, a, a sector I know and love? And then there's the other part of it was um, having a look at a, at a course, like what exists for, for higher education professionals to advance their careers, like what exists. And I did an extensive search um, looking at everything from MOOCs to, to kind of private courses to the mainstream kind of uh, formal qualifications and so on. And it wasn't what what I wanted to do. So when you look at the the courses from most of these um, universities and so on in postgrad movements was very much about governance and about um, base level leadership understanding and about um, how do you manage faculty and and it didn't cover any of the innovative stuff that I was particularly interested in. So how do we take advantage of modern technologies? How do we um, look at what all of these wonderful organizations on the periphery of higher ed are doing and how we can incorporate them in, in the discussion? And so I, I, I just couldn't run down the, the three-year um, postgraduate route, um, uh, and, and it just didn't excite me. And then in the private course market and in the short course market, there wasn't terribly much that, that covered the gamut of stuff that I really wanted to understand. So I've been building courses for, for quite some time, and I thought, well, to hell with it, I'll build my own. Um, and so the conversation started there with a, with a bunch of colleagues. And um, we, we figured out one of the, the main challenges that we had is how the hell do we get the content? Um, like, how do we speak to these individuals? And, and, and that's how the whole crowdsourcing concept came in, because we saw it with um, Airbnb and with Uber and so on, that we wanted to have relevance in, in content. Um, and the only way to do that is to get it from 
the horse's mouth, as it were. So the only way to make sure that we are current and relevant and that we are um, singing from the same hymn sheet is to hear from those that are leading um, big organizations and or technology companies that are supporting that. Um, and we need to hear from them directly and we need to embed that into the learning experience. So the course was built out of that notion. Um, and uh, that's where we were at. Uh, we were at the stage of, of completing that build um, as we speak. Mm -hmm. So it is a community of ed tech professionals and higher ed professionals that you are working, as you talked about, to, to develop a course um, to serve basically the higher ed professionals. What uh, particular aspects, like if I join, whether I'm in higher ed or interested, you know, to enter, to go, interested in going in higher ed, what, uh, what am I going to learn and mm -hmm. what am I going to accomplish during this course? Yeah, so it, the course is very much uh, geared for higher education professionals. Um, and what we're referring to there is uh, kind of leadership level um, uh, people within private and, and public education systems. Um, and these are not um, the executive leaders. They don't have to be. I'm, I'm just referring to people that have a keen interest and or leading a functional area and wanting to get a broader understanding of what's happening in their in their environment and in their sector. So the and what will they learn? So we, we take um, students on a, on a journey. Um, so we first of all teach them about what, how did higher education begin? What's it all about? Um, so we set the scene. We also um, look at the burning platform issues that are facing the sector at the moment. Um, so uh, I'm not going to give any of those away. They're in the brochure. You can have a look at them, but it's really about um, setting the scene and the foundation. And then we hear from students. Um, so we hear from uh, uh, um, underemployed students. We hear from the lifelong learners. Um, and we hear from those that have taken the decision to study um, at a private provider that's on the periphery and not in mainstream um, higher education system. So that's how we start the course. And then we navigate our way through a series of eight weeks. The second week looks at Industry 4.0 and its impact on, on the higher education environment. We look at week three takes you through the business of education. So we look at all of the ways that um, higher education is commercializing their opportunities and um, the business models and the frameworks that support it. Um, and then in week four, we take a look at sales marketing and business development. So we, we take a look at digital marketing. We look at why um, the costs of acquisition are so high. What are the competitive threats? How does my brand be impacted from these decisions? And then um, we look at week five, we look at partnerships. So we look mostly at OPM, but also the um, uh, online program management, sorry. Um, and we look at the intersection between industry and academia. So this being mainstream um, large-scale organizations and, and industry, uh, oh, the broader industry ecosystem and higher ed. And then uh, week six is uh, where teaching and learning meets digital. So we look at all of the, the novelties that are happening in the higher education space at the moment, mostly around online learning, but also around curriculum architecture and how that needs to be changed and the whole micro-credential movement. And then in week seven, we look at learning analytics, big data and learning analytics and also social analytics and how all of the data points um, marry up to, to get better student retention and better student outcomes. And we finished the course concluded with leadership. Um, 
so we look at the qualities of leaders in, in higher education. And if you're wanting to advance your career in higher education and become a leader, what are the things you need to know, do, think and act? Um, and as well as looking at, uh, we, we look at thorny topics like um, racism and misogyny in, in higher ed and what we can do to alleviate some of these pressures. So it's really an all-encompassing, as you can see, it, it covers a, a broad cross-section of what's happening in higher ed. And the outcome will hopefully be um, a really good understanding of the sector, its novelty, um, the, the way it, it needs to move forward potentially, and, and to develop a strategic document not necessarily a document, but a, a strategic way of working, of thinking about how am I going to advance my organization? Um, and and we're hearing from the wonderful minds in the space um, and given the tools, tricks, and techniques that have seen them be successful. Um, and that's kind of what uh, we would imagine you, you learn from this experience. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So based on everything you've learned during your own journey and career path, and also during the work you've done with all the experts in uh, Connect Ed, when you look uh, into the future of education in the next five or 10 years, what do you see? What are the big things you see that they are changing? Yeah, so the, the move to online is, is of course, the, the, the biggest move at the moment. I still think that uh, we're going to see virtual reality and augmented reality and those types of um, technologies come more present in the higher education ecosystem. But for the most part, I, I think we're going to see a, a surge of online and, and hopefully a surge of better online. And what I refer to as, as kind of better online is, is just making sure that we have um, the student at the center of our, our um, experiences and, and making sure that they have an incredible um, time um, because there's there's such an opportunity with, with the digital technology that we have to make these experiences wonderful, yet um, we're, we're not doing that at present. So over the next couple of years, I see a move towards more of the stuff that Kahoot is doing, where we're seeing students join into to communities um, within their online environment and to learn from one another and to engage their facilitator as and when required. And very slick design in the sense that we, we're only on, uh, on uh, learning now what, what the potential is for learning online. And and there's there's reports coming out of to you and and other sources that is really demonstrating that the online experience can far surpass um, that of of an in-person experience and from a from a kahoot perspective we we see that firsthand all the time uh, the commentary that we get the the um the kind of testimonials that we have are uh, just exemplary. It, it is is unbelievable what we're able to achieve. So online learning done well, we will see a big move towards that. Um, we will see a big move towards the transnationalism of our of our um, institutions. So the ability for students to study um, anywhere in the world doing any course that they so choose. And again, we will see a, a, a stackability um, and the micro-credential movement um, coming thick and fast. Um, so the shorter form learning that one can stack their their um, uh, curriculum together and exit level qualifications and a, and a whole myriad of things like that. Um, so I just see it as an acceleration of all of the things that we were hoping to achieve over the next 10 years will hopefully be over the next three to four years at the rate we are currently seeing. Beautiful. And my favorite question, what is one thing you would like to leave your mark on within your lifetime? Yeah, and I, I think... <laughs> 
I'm kind of only hitting hitting my stride now. I've just uh, turned 42, and I think that I, I'm only starting. So I I don't know what the future looks uh, just yet, of course. But the stuff that I really enjoy and what I hope um, will leave some kind of legacy is the ability to have conversation. And I'm a I'm a big fan of of conversation in in higher education. And that discourse is where I believe the learning happens. I I have a keen fascination for how we can bring communities together where they can have dialogue with one another and and learn um, through this uh, vociferous debate and and bring that into an online community is is really what, what I would love to to experiment with and and have a part in in playing in it in its future. I love that. Well I say you know Greek born and raised. We love debate. <laughs> really we love debate. We really yeah. love because also this is the way uh, the, the idea is that this is how we solve our problems and this is how we evolve our culture, our economy, our business. So everything evolves through conversation. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, we don't have any other tools. We we've only got our voice, and um, that's that's the key tool that we have, and we need to use it better. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Warren. It was wonderful to get to know your learning journey and uh, the specifics of your work. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure, Maria. If you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, please leave us a review on iTunes to help people like you find this podcast. You can also subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you have friends and loved ones who would be interested in this episode, please share it with them. Thank you. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidou. Till next time.